Hello and welcome, everybody. Welcome to the No Name Musicast. My name's Tim, and this is Joy. And we are back. Now, if you've been following our podcast and listening to our episodes, you would have not noticed any disruption to service. We've been posting every Wednesday like we always do. Because but- we, like, it's not just Tim posting and Joy going, oh, yeah, podcast came out. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we took a couple of weeks off, two and a half weeks off, something like that. Various stuff was happening. And uh, we recorded lots of episodes, so you would have plenty of no-name music cast to listen to. But we are recording today. It is uh, June 10th. We are back. So we have a lot to talk about and a lot to discuss. Now, this episode is going to be a little bit different. Normally, we have a music topic and then we talk about songs and things like that. But because we've been away for so long, there's been so much music news we decided what we would do is sort of recap the news while we've been away. Now, I've got some topics to talk about. Joy's got some topics to talk about. And, you know, we'll go back and some forwards and then we'll talk about gas marks and things like that. Sure. Um, so I guess I'll start it with Tim's favorite story. So for those who don't know, I moved into a new townhouse. Yay! Clock, Yay. Clock, clock. So anyway, um, I discovered that there's a lot of foliage and trees around me, which means we get deers all the time and lots of bugs. Um, I was walking my dog the other day and I have a discovery that only would happen to me. Apparently though, I did get confirmation this has happened to other people when I went on the Google. If you have curly hair, PSA, bees can in fact get stuck in your curly hair. So I have very curly hair. Tim's seen it. Some days it looks curlier than others. Some days I look like I have an afro. It just varies depending on what's happening. Um, I put a lot of product in my hair because it's very dry. And these products usually smell flower and floral and, you know, fruity, which which you can imagine attracts bees. Did not register with me. I was walking inside with Finn after we came back from a little jaunt around the neighborhood. And I hear buzzing in Well, first of all, I feel like what feels like someone just stabbed me with a needle in my ear. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. (laughs) And it doesn't go away. Because you know how when you get stung by a bee, Tim, it's like that burn stick kind of thing. It doesn't go away for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I felt that, but it was on my ear. And I was like, okay, well, let's talk about a place to get stung. Well, then I hear buzzing all around my head and I can't figure out why. And then I feel another, what feels like a sting on the side of my head. So I'm sitting here at the bottom of our stairs. Charlie's upstairs at the top of our stairs. Charlie's computer room is up there. Um, He's sitting there. I don't know, has headphones on watching an anime paying zero attention to me downstairs. Scree (laughs) (laughs) at the top of my work. So I can't get the bee out of my hair. It was stuck in my curls and it was buzzing or it was like adding insult to injury. It stung me twice. And now it's like terrorizing. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like screaming, trying to get rid of it. And finally Charlie hears and comes down and my husband, is scared of bees so badly. Charlie, actually, if there is a bee, a spider, anything in our house, I have to be the one to handle it. He will run. (laughs) (laughs) And if he does come to help, it is completely useless help. Let me throw a book from five yards away. (laughs) So anyway, I'm sitting here screaming, trying to get the bee out of my hair. I finally like, and you know when he comes in with Tim, this is the kicker. He brings my shoe (laughs) <laughs> like that's gonna help and i was like i need your help to find if it's still in my hair and he's nervous he's like well if it falls out of your hair i'll kill it with the shoe 
I got it out finally, and then we couldn't find it. I spent an hour dragging it on the beach. Like a shoe of all things. Like I was like, you didn't bring a hairbrush or something that seems useful when there's a bee stuck in your hair. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. So there's my story of my new house, everybody, and yeah. also PSA for curly haired people. It's um. It doesn't surprise me that the, the beginning of your new house journey begins with some kind of joy incident, which is basically an injury. I mean, I got so many bruises and sore spots when we moved, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I feel like, and our hallway is really narrow here, and the door handles stick out. I've hit my arm on every door handle probably 37 times since we've been here. Um and me and Charlie lucked out, got a wonderful washer. Oh, speaking of which, Tim, your dolly's just sitting right here. I need to return that to you. Got okay. a really good deal on a washer dryer set that the lady was giving away. Tim kindly let us use the dolly. Um, the person who was going to help Charlie, our friend Adam, was not able to make it because of a work thing. So Joy had to help Charlie move 500 to 1,000 pounds worth of washer dryer. Um, and that was a horrible experience. And I was sore for a week. Yeah, I, I find the things like that. I mean, you were lucky. You got a really good deal mm-hmm. on some used stuff that you was able to fix, and it was you know worked out really good for you. It was just the timing. It was perfect. Yeah, but I find with things like that, I, I like to pay someone to come and install it. <laughs> I, I, I would have rather, like, but I couldn't deny. And this was – so you guys know, like, the smart washer and dryer. Oh, my God. So it's a smart washer and dryer, and it sings a song to you every time it ends a cycle, Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first night we were upstairs in the bedroom and I had put a wash a load and I forgot about it. And in the middle of the night, it starts playing this song and Charlie goes, oh, wait, oh, it's playing at our, I was like, oh, it's playing at our song. Like I thought he knew it was the washing machine because I knew it was the washing machine because we were just watching TV in the bedroom. And he goes, who's playing this song? Who are these people? <laughs> I was like terrified because it was like two in the morning and just like a song starts playing and I just casually go, oh, look, they're playing a song. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I have for new news in the house. But Tim, I'll bring you your dolly next week. <laughs> okay. No, no problem. It was just sitting in our back room covered in dust. I had to clean it off before I gave it to you. But I'm glad my dolly was uh, was useful to you. It was very useful. Um to be fair, she had one of the industrial ones while we were at her house, but yours was used to get it into our house. So we had to, you know, there you go. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let, let's, um, let's work through these music news stories. Now, as I said, we, uh, sort of got the list and split it up between us. We, you know, but both Joe and I were talking all the time that we weren't recording and, you know, something would happen and Joe would ping me and I'd think of something and I'd ping her. So we, we made a list and we split it up between us. And um, we've got a number of stories, various different topics. And I'm going to open this. Um, this is a Van Halen news. Now, it seems to be lately, certainly in the last 20 years almost, the Van Halen fan base seems to mostly focus on the David Lee Roth years. You know, it was David Lee yeah. Roth originally. Then it was Sammy Hagar. Then it was Gary Sharon. Then it was Sammy Hagar again, and then it went back to being Dave. But certainly the last few years of touring is with Dave. And whenever they play classic rock now, it's always David Lee Roth era. And it seems to be the Sammy era doesn't get a lot of love. 
I feel like visually wise too. Everything you see when they like share like an article or there's like a photo, it's always David Lee Roth. Absolutely. But as I've said before, I discovered Van Halen with Sammy Hagar. I, I, I love Dave, but I think I love the Sammy years even more. I think I do too. I think that they're very nostalgic to me. Um, and they're fun. He's just fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, anyhow, as part of Record Store Day, um, I mean, this was back in April, they re-released the Live Right Here, Right Now album. Now, this came out in 1993, and I bought this when it came out. And this is a Sammy Hagar era live album. Well, it's sort of live in in inverted commas, because in Sammy's book, he claimed it was mostly studio. But anyhow, it's, it's marketed as a live album. And it hadn't really been remastered or reissued or anything since then. But completely out of the blue for record store day they come out with a vinyl reissue of it with bonus tracks and all this kind of stuff now i decided not to buy it because it was a hundred dollars and i already have it i'm not really into buying the records so much anymore but it is it is the beginning of the reissues of the sammy era now all of the dave stuff has been remastered and reissued and you can buy it on record and cd and all that kind of stuff but the sammy years is is it can be found but it's harder to find Anyhow, they are starting to reissue all the Sammy stuff. So it's, it's probably going to be the, the four albums. You've got OU812, yeah. 5150, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, and Balance. And apparently uh, Alex Van Halen is over this um, reissue um, stuff. And Wolfgang is sort of the uh, deciding vote mm-hmm. on Eddie's behalf. But, yeah. it's, but it's interesting because like Wolfgang was interviewed recently and they asked him about these reissues. And he even said himself, he said, this, you know, the Sammy is a great, it's great music. My dad's guitar playing is great on it. And it seems to get completely overlooked. When you talk, when I see Wolfgang, like anytime he talks with Van Halen, he seems very reasonable as a person. Like he's very level headed. He seems to be. He comes across badly on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Oh, that I'm not talking about, like, articles and stuff. I've never really looked at him on Facebook or Twitter. Interviews, he seems to be fine. I mean, I think it's kind of a defense mechanism because he's out there making his own music. He's released his first Mm. album. There's a second album coming out soon. He's released some songs. He's touring. He's trying to make a name for himself. And what he doesn't want to be is a Van Halen tribute act. I mean, I know his name is Van Halen, but he doesn't want to be a classic Van Halen band tribute act thing. And in fact, he played some classic Van Halen at the Taylor Hawkins tribute process. And he said he wasn't really wanting to do that ever again. He did it because Taylor loved Van Halen and it was the spirit of the day, that kind of stuff. And he played Hot for Teacher. I saw that article too. And things like that. He was talking about it. Yeah, and he... He, he gets a little bit unpleasant on the socials when people ask him about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think you get a sit down interview with someone that respects him. He he does seem to have a pretty level headed approach. But I mean, in his defense, his parents named him Wolfgang Van Halen. It's pretty hard to have your own identity when your name is Wolfgang, which is one artist, and Van Halen, which is an obvious another artist. So, I mean, I kind of get it. And I've always talked about don't give your – and wouldn't it be humorous, though, if he wasn't a musician? Like, what if Wolfgang Van Halen just, like, was a chef? That, yeah, yeah. Well, well, there's a Wolfgang Puck, isn't there, who's a famous Oh, chef. that's true. That's well, I wasn't thinking of that Wolfgang, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but it would just be funny if, like, if he just, like, was like, I'm not going to do music, and he's like, a Bob Sledder. I don't know, Tim. Apparently the only jobs that come to mind in my head are Chef and Bob Sledder. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, what if Wolfgang has decided that social care was his calling? I don't know. 
<laughs> he comes to work with you today. <laughs> and for those who don't know, obviously we're referencing Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, just just for preference. As opposed yeah. to all the other Wolfgangs that we know apart from <laughs> well, Wolfgang Van you know Halen Wolfgang and Mozart. Puck. <laughs> Doesn't he own like a restaurant in Vegas or something, Wolfgang Puck? I think so. I think, he, I think he has a number of restaurants, I think. Yeah, he's like a Gordon Ramsay on a smaller scale or something. I've seen him on the Food Network. There you go. That's the one. Well, there we are. So, so that is the the Van Halen reissues remasters. I will will be buying a copy of Four Unlawful Common Knowledge and Balance on vinyl. I you were going to say. And the reason I'm going to be buying them is because currently they are incredibly rare. Balance was only ever issued on vinyl in Germany, and it was a very small small run of them. And they're in the five, six, seven hundred dollar range if you can find them right now. And for unlawful carnal knowledge is also equally as rare, though not quite as expensive. So I will be buying each of those just because. That's a lot of gig money, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll be we buying them when they're that. when they're twenty nine ninety nine on Amazon, not going on Discogs and <laughs> paying a mortgage payment for them. Fair enough. All right, so I guess it's my turn, and I want to start. Even though this isn't the first in the list that Tim sent, well, well, me and Tim broke it up, and he sent me a list, and he kept a list. Um, I want to talk about the Ed Sheeran's way he won his copyright trial. I thought that was the funnest coolest thing ever so for those who don't know ed sharon was recently in a lawsuit where they basically um alleged that thinking out loud was very close to marvin gaze let's get it on to be clear the person who brought this charge up was not part of marvin gaze family which we already talked about me and tim have feelings they're a little money hungry don't come for his internet it's just if you look it up it's not hard to see it's the other guy who wrote on the song and i can't remember his name off the top of my head Mm -hmm. that's not important but that is who brought up this charge so what i thought was Super cool. So Ed Sheeran was very upset about this. He said he had to miss like family who had passed away, their funeral. He had to, you know, but he said he felt like it was his, you know, he needed to go. He said, this is my livelihood. This is what I've worked for, blah, blah, blah. You know, I need to represent myself well. So what he did on in the trial is so cool. And it's something me and Tim have kind of talked about in as a whole, there's only so many chords out there, which in turn means there's only so many chord progressions, right? Mm-hmm. We make the joke about C, D, G, F. Everybody knows that that's every song. Okay. Common sense. And when you learn to play an instrument, what's the first thing you learn, Tim? You learn C, you learn D, you learn G, you learn A, you learn E, you learn F. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just what I learned. Those are the first chords because they're in most songs. And I can tell you how many songs when I started playing the ukulele, I could play with just like an F, a C, and a D. Mm-hmm. It's just tons. The strumming and stuff is separate, but that's a whole different thing. So what he did, though, was he got up on and he and there's this video of him on Howard Stern explaining this. And they gave him a guitar to show how he did this. But he got up there and he was like, how can you do this when my song is used? The exact chord progression used and the same pattern and the same rhythm. It's so many other songs. If you're going to say that I stole this, then that means every other person. And he started playing these songs. So the list of songs that he gave an example of, hold on, let me find the list. I have it here. Ned Sharon stole this. Um, I'm not, I'm not lying guys. I just had it up because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw I, the video. So, uh, they listed it out. Hold on. I was in writing, but basically it was about a handful of about, he said he played like, what was it, Tim? Like 15 songs, something like that. Yeah. It was something crazy, but he went on. So he basically played a multitude, like a medley of songs that we're all familiar with from, um, I know like my girl was on it. 
Mm-hmm. I was just reading it. Apparently, I lost it somewhere. I'll find it eventually, guys. But like, it was just a medley of songs that we're all familiar with. That he was like, if I stole this, then all of these two, all of these people did too. And I was talking to Tim, and Tim's like, it's genius, and it's something everybody who's ever played music knows. Like, yeah. how many songs, Tim? Can you think of? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah, because I mean. I think there's there's like a, a some comedian or something. I've seen a YouTube video that's been passed around where it's like CGFD, and then they play hundreds of songs mm-hmm. all off the back of that. Like it, it's literally thousands upon thousands of songs. And if you've ever played an instrument, you know that one of the big things you do when you first learn it, those are the same like chords everybody learns because. Being able to play a song is really important when you first start. It motivates you, right? So that's when they when they when they teach you, they want you to be able to play a song. Sure. Even yeah. if it's more than twinkle twinkle little star. All right. I'm gonna find this list, Tim. I'm not going crazy. Give me two seconds. Okay. Well I was gonna say when I when I, when I first started playing guitar, yeah, I think the first chord I ever played was a C and then maybe a G and then maybe a D. And now the F is tricky, of course, because you're barring the first fret. Yeah. Um, but what, even with your C, G, and D, and he's like, oh, that's the chords to this, and that's the chords to that. And in fact, going back to Eddie Van Halen, who we was talking about Van Halen earlier, somebody asked him about, you know, what riffs did he like and what um, chord progressions and stuff he liked. And he said, oh, he said, you've got 12 notes, you know, however you mix them up is your own thing. And it's true. There's only so many notes and only so many chords. Yeah, and it, it is true. And it's like, okay, he so basically when he was on trial, he picked up a guitar. It says he did a medley, a match the songs, including Thinking Out Loud, the song we're talking about from him, and a song by Van Halen, who ironically Sharon by Van Halen, Van Morrison, guys, Van Morrison, <laughs> who Sharon claimed was actually the primary inspiration for the song. And isn't that funny? It, it he was actually saying, You guys are blaming me for Marvin Gaye, but really, this was the inspiration, and it was Van Morrison. Um, and so I find that ironic because we just assume, and if we're going to do that, I don't even know where to begin because Tim, if any song sounds remotely the same, how many songs have you played that sound so close in your brain that you, they probably become one, but as a musician. So many, and especially like in the realm of like one, four, five progressions, like your, your classic rock and roll or blues progressions. There are thousands and thousands of songs that share the same chord pattern. And it, it it's silly. Well, and I get it. it. Maybe these people really thought, okay, that sounds really similar. Like I could even see that being a thing, but to, to go out of your way to like bring these people on trial, I just don't get it. Now, to be fair, that is not how me and Tim Oh, here it is. Um, have I told you lately that I love you? Mm-hmm. Um, there's People Get Ready by Chris Mayfield and The Impressions. You're Still the One I Want by Shania. Um, Just Like a Woman by Bob Dylan and My Girl by The Temptations. Yeah. All of those. And me and Tim could tell you, I can sit here and hear it. It's not even just the chord. It's the rhythm and the way the words, the verses kind of play out. Like, still the one that, that's how the Thinking Out Loud song goes, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but it's very similar to that. At have I told you lately that so it it's not even just the chords; it's just the similarity and the patterns in which they're singing too. Yeah, there, there was a thing I think we may have spoken about on it here before, but um, faithfully when that came out, mm-hmm. um, Prince had Purple Rain. I think came out just around the same time as Journey had Faithfully out, and that Journey I think was set to release it, and then Purple Rain came out. 
And then Journey were like, well, we've never heard this song before, but this is almost like the chord pattern and some of the bits are almost identical. And then the record company contacted Prince and they say, well, what do you think? You know, should we still stall the release? We don't want to, you know, we don't want to sort of sully your work. And he listened to it and he said, oh, he said, it's all rock and roll. He said, They're all, we're all working with the same stuff. Well, and this and that's exactly so at the end of it, Ed Sheeran said there was 101 songs, Tim, that he found with the same chord um, sequence. Um, and he goes, but if you say a song in 1974 owns this, what about all these other songs that were before it? Because not every one of those songs came out after Let's Get It On. No, Absolutely. So there you go, guys. I thought that was genius. I don't know why more artists haven't like stuck up for themselves and said that. The other thing is, is I feel, and I, I there's a cartoon I was watching. It wasn't a cartoon. It was like a TV show, like a kid's TV show. I remember they were making a joke about this. And they were writing a song, and one of the people inadvertently wrote something very similar to a per- previous song they had heard mm-hmm. earlier in the show, and they didn't even realize it. It was just on their brain. So if we're constantly all being pushed up the same music all the time, Tim, what are we going to be thinking about when we sit in front of an instrument? Yeah, nobody creates anything in a vacuum. It's all sort of your influences and things you have heard that, that that influence that. So if you've heard all these songs in the past, even if you're not consciously quoting them, they're all in there somewhere. Well, we'll leave it with this. This is what I thought was great. He said, um, we, add, we found songs from the 1700s that also included the same type thing. They're huge songs in the 50s and 60s. You can't copyright a chord sequence. And I agree with... Um, Ed Sheeran. There we are. Well, good good on you, Mr. Sheeran. All right. What's your next topic, Tim? Okay. So Spotify. Okay. Now, as many of you know, I've had a Spotify journey. (laughs) I am fully vested in the Spotify world. I've been Spotifying since January. And whilst we were away, I've actually beginning to transfer my podcasts to Spotify. And the reason I'm doing that, I used to use Apple Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts is fine. Um, but one thing I found with Spotify, especially if you're going on a long road trip, you can make a playlist and then mm-hmm. you can make a playlist which mixes music and podcasts. And I, on some of the trips I did for the two weeks until so when we were off, I created playlists with a mixture of those two things. And I really liked it. However, I had to go through Apple Podcasts and find out the ones I hadn't listened to and then mark them on here. And, do, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to move all my podcasts and my listening history over to Spotify and I've got it in one place. That, that, that was my, my, my thinking. So anyway, so I'm, I'm fully vested in this world now, me and me and Spotify are best friends. You know, we're, 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 we're bros for life. <laughs> I enjoy deleted her Spotify because she got set up on the new thing. <laughs> well, aha, this is, this there a way is around the, it. This is the, this is the news. So as we know, Spotify, Back in March, had their annual like developer conference thing called Stream On, mm-hmm. where they announce all their innovations for the coming year. It's mostly for advertisers in the music industry, but they talk about how the app's going to change and things like that too. Yeah, they announced the AI DJ, which we previously discussed, which I used once, and it's like, why would I ever want this? Because why do I want an electronic version of an annoying DJ? I don't <laughs> understand why I want that. Talking over the beginning and the ending of all the tracks, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> It just sounds like a morning zoo. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a guy with a pleasant enough voice, but it's—I I don't know why I want that, really. Fair. 
So I used that once, never going to use it again. But the other thing they announced is that the main homepage, the home feed on Spotify, if you use it on the app on your phone or your iPad or your Android tablet, whatever you use, rather than just being as it is now, where it would have like little squares saying, this is stuff you've listened to. And these are some playlists you might like. And you listen to Shania Twain. You might like Kylie Minogue, that kind of thing that comes up. All that went. And they decided what they were going to do is make it TikTok, basically. So it'd be an infinite scrolling thing where you'd scroll through it and it would say like, I don't know, Iron Maiden. And then it would auto blast Iron Maiden at you. And then if you a heart attack, yeah. And there's no way of turning the automatic playing of the sound off. You just couldn't, you could do it temporarily, but every time you went back to it, it would do it. And then you'd have to go into it and then maybe add that or listen to it. And nobody could find anything. Nobody could find their playlist. Nobody could find things they liked. It was a mess. And there was a support thread on the uh, Spotify. Uh, like They have like these forums that, that users can post to for yeah. ideas and stuff. And it got thousands and thousands and thousands of replies. And everyone's just saying, we don't want the TikTok. Turn this off. It's terrible. Or at least give us an option. If, if, you if must... I want TikTok, I'll just go to TikTok. <laughs> yeah. If, you, if, you, if we must have the TikTok, can we put it on a different tab so I can completely ignore it? And it went backwards and forwards. And then there was this like big, long message from one of their developers telling, basically telling you, you were wrong. This is the best thing ever. Um, you just don't know how to use it. And everyone's just like, and that just like added fuel to the fire. Let's say whoever was his boss was probably like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. And then people were posting the email address of the guy who's over um, Spotify, the guy who is like, the CEO. And then there was another guy who posted on LinkedIn. He's, he's some kind of senior, something to do with um, Spotify. And on his LinkedIn, he was talking about the successes of his team of AI DJ and something else. And then people were making LinkedIn accounts and putting <laughs> comments on that saying, your your new thing is trash. I'm canceling. And everyone's like posting up things about how to transfer all your playlists. That's the music. internet nowadays, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so much advice about how to get yourself off Spotify. It, it You couldn't have generated a worse PR disaster. The HR person to be dies a little. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, so this goes on for a while and I'm following this thread because I thought, you know, I'm just into this thing. And now it's, I hadn't, I hadn't yet got it. You got the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, luckily I hadn't got it yet. And I've been following this thread thinking, well, do I have to now go to Apple Music? And I actually trialed Apple Music while this was going on. And to be honest, I didn't like it as much. I didn't think it sounded quite as good, even though it has this lossless streaming. With yeah. my like super fancy Audio-Technica headphones, it didn't sound as nice. It didn't sound as nice in my car. And I didn't like how it worked compared to Spotify, if I'm being honest. Fair. So I'm... Um, yeah, trialing it, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden a bunch of posts appear, both on Twitter and on the um, Spotify uh, forum saying, oh, I, I switched this on today and it's gone back to how it used to be. And then other people were saying, do you know what? It's funny. Uh, I logged out and logged back in and it's back to how it used to be. And then it was not just dozens. It was hundreds of people saying that. And then you looked on other forums and Reddit and things like that. And people are saying, I think they've switched it off. Weird. Anyhow, the same developer well, that might just take get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, the same developer then posts on the uh, forum for Spotify, and this is what he says: "Thanks everyone for posting here in the community and letting us know what you think. I've shared all your messages. 
I can confirm that all current tests related to the mobile home feed, home feed have ended. All of the de- data and feedback will inform any future tests. It may take a little time to see the changes. Try restarting a couple of times. We will close this thread for any further comments. And everyone's like, huh? What about that huge press release you did? What about when Daniel Elk went on this morning and spoke about, yeah, spoke about <laughs> this new TikTok feed thing? What about the Stream <laughs> One event? What about all this press that went out? And you're now telling us it was a test. What? That, that what? is, if I've ever seen it, that is an HR response from a mile away. As someone who's had to respond to people being terminated, you know what I mean, Tim, and different things like that. And you have to choose your words very carefully. Um, and I wonder, though, like, if I had been there the day that guy posted that, like, even if you are proud of what you did and you think you did a good thing, if you're sitting there and you're watching people tell you they don't like it, don't go on there and, like, just... You know what I mean? Try to defend it. It's never going to go well for you. It's just going to make you look like, well, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and and they there was a, a Spotify um, like investor call, you know, like where the, the, the shareholders have these investor calls. Yeah. And yeah. one of the investors asked Daniel Elk, who's the guy who's the CEO of uh, Spotify, about the, the mobile home feed rollout thing. <laughs> and then he said, what did he say? He said, um, he said oh, yes, he said, yeah, we, we've... Uh, we, we've, we've been testing it in select markets, but it's probably going to be a multi-quarter rollout, maybe over a number of years. <laughs> yeah, they're talking out of there. Um, word I can't say on this podcast is what it sounds like to be, Tim. Yeah, I would have preferred it if like, someone came in here and said, we hear you, we see you hate it, we've mm-hmm. put it back. Thank you for being a All customer. they had to say was, we got the feedback we needed. It's not going to work. We're going to go back to the old thing. Yeah. How well, hard we, would that have been? Yeah, or well, we might try something again in the future. And they, they tried this a year or two ago and had exactly the same uh, feedback. So I don't know. It was more this thing about all current tests have, have ended. <laughs> such a, that's such a, that's so much bull and you know it. Because it's like whenever um, somebody gets, it, it, you know, like when a politician gets caught doing something and they talk about it in the most roundabout way without actually saying it that's what that sounds like oh goodness me but anyhow joy you can actually um put spotify back back on your phone (laughs) because that tiktok feed thing should have gone away well there we go guys now i know (laughs) (laughs) all right well i'm gonna speak on one that i i very was upset when i sent this this link to tim this was a heartbreak for me a real heartbreak but in all seriousness it goes back to what me and tim say go see your artists Go see them now, unless they want you to pay $5,000. We can't justify that. But go see them. <laughs> Sit out in the car and listen. I don't know. Do what you got to do. But um, sadly, I so those who've been listening to the podcast for a while know I went and saw some 41 and simple plan a few years. It's probably been like, what, two years now? A year, mm-hmm. two years. And um Went after the show, me and my friend were walking down the street and the lead singer simple play and we bumped into him getting food. There's a picture online. Um, if Tim makes note, I'll post it on the um, of me taking a picture of Jennifer with him. And that story is hilarious because Jennifer, I was there for Sun 41. I had wanted to see Sun 41 for years. And every time I went, I don't know if you've had this experience, Tim, but something would happen and they'd pull out of the show or it'd be like one of those. It's always like with rock band, you know, there's always like a big event going on. 
on and like five people are playing and one or two bands end up not going. Mm -hmm. That happened some 41. It happened to me with um, back in the day in like the early 2000s. It happened to me when I went to see the offspring. They were supposed to be there. Um, And so because some 41 is Canadian. So this was like the Canadian tour, them in Simple Plan or whatever. They always Mm -hmm. have something like that going on. But I was very, very, very excited. Uh, Fat Lip was one of the first albums I I had as a kid. I've been a some 41 super fan for years. I think they're a very vastly underrated pop punk band. Anyway, and they're a little bit, I, I call them pop punk lightly. They're a little harder than like, you know, like your average good Charlotte or something of those lines. Mm-hmm. And they're much of a harder band than Simple Plan. So it kind of was funny that there was, you know, this dichotomy between the two. But, and they actually did a, a Pantera ending in their concert. I don't know if I told you that or not, Tim, but they like came out with like big hair and everything and played a whole selection of Pantera at the end, but doesn't matter. So <laughs> it was really funny. And it like went out and like boobs. It was hilarious. And it was funny because you could tell who was there for Sub 41 and who was there for Simple Plan. Because like I said, two very distinct Simple Plans, like Life's Just Sick Kid, whereas Sub 41 branches on a little bit more metal. Anyway, um, sadly, they have decided after 27 years to break up. But I did finally get to see them. That was the point of this story. Well, I'm glad you did. And the thing is, I mean, we, we've been losing lots of artists recently. But even even like, these bands are just deciding they don't want to do it anymore. And well, yeah. You're right. I'm sorry. I was going to say, to be fair, the lead singer of Sum 41 has um, Derek. He struggled with substance abuse a lot throughout his whole career. And, you know, he was actually married to Avril Lavigne at one point, and he made a joke about it in the concert um, <laughs> of being married. He's like, yeah, you know how marriage went for me. And then it got awkward. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, it's just sad because I'm just really, really, really happy, though. I got to see them before they broke up. Because, like I said, it was one of those bands that I remember, you know, like the first one of the first albums you own. I have a very distinct memory, a memory of the Fat Lip album. Like, I do. All Filler, No Killer. Mm-hmm. It sticks in my brain because I love that album and listen to it nonstop. And I think when Brandy was on the podcast, didn't she do us on 41 song? I remember I she did The Offspring. It was The Offspring she spoke about. And I think Sun 41 came up during that discussion. Those mm-hmm. two bands were probably, as me and Brady were kids, we probably listened to those two bands pretty heavily on rotation. They were like one of our top rock bands, I guess you can say. Um, but yeah, and what's funny though is they're one of those bands that like they had like two or three songs that like mainstream would know. You know what I mean? Like Fat Lip is probably the number one song that everybody would know by um Sub 41. But I was like one of those ones that like could repeat every album track. Like I was like the dedicated fan who thought she was super cool back in the day. Um, and I, I just thought it was ironic that I finally, finally get to see them and what happens. They break up. Well, you got, <laughs> you got to, you enjoyed their music growing up. You got to see them. You'll always have that memory. I mean, I, I've you know, there's some bands that I've seen that I would never, ever be able to see again. I see Van Halen four times. That's never ever going to happen. Unless hell again. freezes over. <laughs> exactly, or, or or even like something like the Brian May Band, which was a mm-hmm. solo band he had in the nineties. Um, Back yeah. to the Light came out in the nineties. I was get, just getting into Queen and getting into music. Back to the Light comes out, and then he plays at the Hammersmith Odeon, and I I went to see him there, and I also saw him at the Albert Hall in ninety eight. Um, both of those lineups were great. And that's never going to happen again because, like, when he when he reissued his solo albums, he, uh, people asked him, "You can do some solo gigs." And he's like, "No." He said, "I've I've moved on. You know, I'm celebrating the work I've done, but he said, I've moved on from that. So I'm not going to be putting that back together." So I mean, that even though most of those people are still with us, that's never going to happen ever again. 
I think that this one for me was just weird because they just they did the the U.S. tour and then they did an international store and then they came out with a new how, um, album, Heaven, whatever, Hell or something like that. I had like a little X symbol in the middle of that. I don't know how to say that, but that was the name of the album. And then they're just like, never mind. We decided to break up. But I'm like, OK. <laughs> like, Does this mean this is the end of the number bands? Because you had some 41, you have Blink 182, you have Matchbox 20. You have Flager Hill 50. No, not really. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of another one. The only that I can come up with Blink-182 and Tim, Tim already said it. Uh, maybe. And there was a big thing with pop punk back in the day where they loved their numbers at the end. Yeah. Was it Matchbox Eve 6? Was that a band? Yep. Eve 6, It was. Eve 6 was a band. Um, I don't know. Maybe we need to do an episode, Tim, on bands with numbers. Yeah, the, the, the big number band episode. Because now you put me on the spot, I'm trying to think of anything. The only thing that keeps coming to mind is Blink-182, but well, we've already said that. <laughs> Led Zeppelin 44. I mean, they were great. I mean. Of course, yes. I mean, what was that one band that you were in, Tim, that had 74 different generations of it, you said? Well, Rough Justice. But but the um, the one that comes to mind, of course, is Freak 1C. <laughs> See, Tim, you were part of the the na- the number band and you didn't even realize it there we are so yeah maybe maybe that is a future topic for, for number bands where there might only be four artists in rotation but we will celebrate them <laughs> no i'm trying to think of anything else and nothing else is coming to mind <laughs> numbers i'll i'll think of one and yell it out before the end of the episode <laughs> oh five i mean I, I guess it doesn't count that band five that was like the year i think it was from england five yeah. ive yeah, they sold it like that. They, they were they they were part of the oh number God. bands. Yeah, that, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> so we got up to five. Tim. <laughs> all right, what's your next topic? Okay, so this is another topic which was alerted to me by Frank Landry from the Channel Thirty Three RPM um, YouTube channel. Of course, and I looked a little bit further into it after he mentioned it, and this is very interesting, and it's about vinyl records. Now, this was a um, report by somebody called Luminate, and they they had some kind of report that's called the Top Entertainment Trends for 2023. And they did a big survey of like however many thousand people and asked people's opinions. And they say 50% of consumers have bought vinyl in the past 12 months uh, don't own a record player. That does not surprise me in the least because (laughs) I don't want to say something mean, but it's going to come off mean. There's just something about vinyl being posh, right, Tim? Mm -hmm. Being able to have your vinyl collection. And I mean, I have my vinyl collection and actually it's right behind the screen that Tim and I could see the Dolly, um, one of the Dolly Parton albums Tim gave me <laughs> sitting right there. But I, it's the idea of having vinyl, I think, but it's not actually listening to said vinyl. Yeah, I mean, they, they get more granular with the stats and they say the younger the people, the less likely they are to actually play the vinyl and the older the people are, the more likely they are to have a turntable. But I wonder whether people are buying it just as effectively merch. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they're doing. It's memorabilia. It's a idea to say, oh, look, I have this new Sublime album. You know what I mean? And like show it and it's cool. But you also have to think from a, okay, so 
I went to school for science, so correlation doesn't equal causation. We realize this. So the the old and the young having a record player not having that correlation, it shouldn't come as a shock because who's more likely to have a record player in their house? Somebody who used to use a record player because that's what they had to play music on. It's, you know, I mean, it's just common sense. But it does seem very... Um, it's like, you know, like when people... I was watching a show once and they had like their bookshelf with their books on it. Mm-hmm. And somebody made a joke about, don't touch that. We want people to think we read. (laughs) (laughs) Or it's like they made a joke about, you know, how the bookshelf's full of books, but nobody's ever actually even read the books. Yeah, I mean, I sold off 70% of my vinyl collection because I got into it and I spent a lot of money on it. And then it didn't bring me a lot of joy because... The, qu- the quality was not good. The records were warped. It was getting very expensive. And I really decided I wanted to embrace the CD format. So outside of some records that were really important to me, I got rid of almost all of my vinyl. I've maybe got a couple of hundred left. Maybe not even as much as that. Yeah. And I sold them all on eBay. And not one person of the hundreds of records I sold, not one person messaged me back and said that they were not happy with one of the records because of quality. Now, all my records were in good condition. (laughs) They were not crackly. They were not warped. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, some people can get very picky about what they want when they received a record that they purchased. And in fact, I've returned stuff to Amazon before that was substandard, but all of my stuff was in excellent to you know near mint condition anyhow but you know you get a lot of people when you sell things on ebay who are, who are odd and have funny ideas and message you and want their money back and all this kind of stuff i sent all this stuff out very well packaged so it didn't get damaged in transit but not one person came back and said hey i was playing side four of something and there's a slight crackle on song three not a, a single person did that so i wonder the pe- most of the people who bought this stuff did they put it in frames or did they just have it because they wanted to have it i mean i'm gonna i have a record player it's just a small you know like one that like you have like in the little case or whatever like the briefcase type style that i pull out occasionally but to be fair the few times i pulled it out you know when i used it tim when my power went out Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because it's it, because like um, it has a battery backup option on it and that or i could plug it in or when my internet was out like when the internet was out i used it but i do have a record collection but there are records that are sitting on that wall that i don't think have ever been played in mm-hmm. the record player like i i'm probably just as guilty i do own one but it's sitting upstairs in my room but it it's also kind of a pain to use, like to get it set right, to get the little, you know what I mean? Like using a record is like almost work. Now I do get, it could be real ritualistic if you're like, you like it and you've used it for so long, but it's like almost an inconvenience. It is. And especially a lot of modern record pressings, like an hour's worth of music is pressed over four sides. Like yeah. I have innuendo the, I have the, uh, there's a German pressing where well, it's, it's a UK pressing, but it's pressed in Germany. And it is incredibly high quality of Queen's innuendo. But because it went over an hour, they've pressed it on four sides, which means there are sides that have two songs on them. Mm-hmm. And that's like 11, 12 minutes of music. And then you have to get up and turn it over. It is incredibly inconvenient. And yep. you can't pause it. And that's the other thing. It's it's like they came up with compact disc for a reason. You look at all the, all the things about records where they're expensive and they're big and they're fragile and they're susceptible to warping and they crackle and you can't pause it and it's inconvenient and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, 
they came up with a digital format on a silver disc that doesn't have any of those problems. Hmm, I wonder why they did that then. It's like, you know what it's, you know what it's like? It's like people having modern electric cars like Teslas and stuff. And then like in five years time, someone says, do you know what would be great? Let's reissue the Model T Ford. Look at that. That's great. <laughs> Cranking handle on the front. Oh, it's, 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 it's so pure. It's so natural. So it's funny you say that. So for those who don't know, my husband was in Salt Lake City this week for some family stuff. We're not going to get into it. His grandfather was a big collector of all kinds of things. I don't think it was a Model T, but it was a car very similar to that that he had. It was kind of like a roadster type style um, that Charlie was talking about. He did not drive, but his one of his cousins drove it and Charlie rode in it. And Charlie was like, drive a stick shift. My husband's rode on motorcycles. Like he's very, you know, he knows all these things, but he was talking about how inconvenient it was to drive this thing and all the weird little one-off things you had to do to get it going. <laughs> it was about when you like hit the clutch, it would go all the way down and you couldn't shift until it was completely, in, you know what I mean? Down to the floor mm-hmm. and things like that. And so like, it's kind of like that. <laughs> Like we go back from driving our Teslas to those. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was Tomo when we was talking about the um, unpopular opinions, and he yeah. said that you know the inconveniences of vinyl completely outweigh you know the nostalgia. Yeah, I agree with that. The more I think about it, that's part of the reason why mine just sit, Tim. And to be clear, I've literally, most of the vinyls I own, I've bought secondhand or someone's given them to me, Tim O'Sullivan. Um, <laughs> or I bought a bunch off a lady off Facebook once. Um, like, I ha- I don't seek them out myself because they're quite expensive, too. Yeah, especially when you can go to thrift shop for CDs and they're, they're $2 or less. And often they're 50 cents. And even if you buy them brand new, they're like 10 bucks. I bought the most recent Foo Fighters album, which actually I would do recommend. It's really good. And um, I got the CD of that and it was $11. And I mean, that's about right. I mean, it's fine. I know. And I still remember every time. So, you know, as a kid, you know, you see like kids begging their parents to buy them something at the store. Mine was always a CD, Tim. That was Mm -hmm. the one thing I wanted. And I remember them being like 15, 16 USD. Like that was it at the most. And that was on the high end. And I'll go look at a vinyl now. And if you go into like Barnes and Nobles in America or whatever, I'll be like $35. And I'm like, I'm not spending $35 on this. And I just set it back down and walk away. Yeah. And it, I, I don't mind paying $35 for a record. If you know that it's, the pressing is going to be good, it's going to sound really good. It's not warped. You it doesn't know. have crackles <laughs> pressed into it. The hole is not off center. You open it up and the inner sleeve is torn because it hasn't been stored properly. I mean, I don't know. Clearly, this is appealing to some people who love records, and that's fine, and that's their thing, and it's then that really drives them, like Frank Landry from the channel I was telling you about. He loves that stuff, and he's into it, and that's cool. But it seems to be, for a lot of people, it's just another piece of merch, like a T-shirt or a poster or something. It's like, oh, well, I'm listening to, I don't know, insert the name of a pop act I've never heard of, and I really like them. Um, I'm listening to them on Spotify all day, but I'm going to buy their records so I can put it, hang it up in my bedroom. I mean, that's, that's, I think I mean, where we are with fair. it. Cause I mean, I have Stevie Nicks on my wall. I have a whole wall of Beatles memorabilia down the hall. Like my entire hallway is Beatles memorabilia, including a picture Tim gave me is down <laughs> my hall. Um, I'm wearing a sublime shirt as we're talking. <laughs> um, I bought a David Bowie shirt yesterday. Like I get it. I'm that kind of person too. So I did get a David Bowie shirt yesterday that I'm very proud of. Um, on a random note, I asked Charlie what the name, he said it was a Model T. It's a 1922 Model T that he was 
riding around in that his grandfather had. Oh, well, that that is very cool. Well, I mean, that as I said, that will be that will be considered a top turn automobile in about in a few years' time. So. <laughs> yes, they can go sip their fancy car coffees, and um, when they get home, instead of using a record player tip, eventually it's going to be that thing where it had like the big what is it like? A, not a xylophone. Like they, it's a, gra- a gramophone. Like, yeah, that's I was a xylophone, and I was like, that's not right. <laughs> but I couldn't think of the. <laughs> Like xylophone is all that kept coming to mind. <laughs> I'm never gonna live that one down. Anyway, all right. Well, yeah, they're gonna be on their xylophone. Anyhow, I think I think the next news story is yours. <laughs> we'll do Dolly because, of course, we will. So this is um, Dolly Parton's new album. Me and Tim have um, been very interested to find out Dolly Parton's first ever. Rock album, Rockstar, is set to globally release on November 7th, 2023. So she has joined forces with a lot of um, old and new rock artists, which is really cool. Um, and of course, is inspired by her 2022 induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, and so it's a 30-song collection with nine original tracks, 21 iconic rock anthems. So I'm guessing we're talking, you know, songs that we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's going to come out on Butterfly, Butterfly Records, which those who don't know, that's Dolly's record company Mm -hmm. she's obsessed with butterflies and if you go to dollywood dollywood it's very evident with all the isn't there like a room dedicated to butterflies tim it butterflies are everywhere like the lights are butterfly shaped and it is it's a you if you go to dollywood you cannot miss butterflies yeah and i think there's like a live butterfly garden at one place during certain times a year and just like everything's butterflies she loves butterflies but it is available as a four lp set um, a two CD set, digital download, and it'll be available on all streaming services. Her exact words are, I'm so excited to finally present my first rock and roll album, Rockstar, because of course it is. I'm very <laughs> honored and privileged to work with some great musicians. Um, I didn't really find out. Do you know what musician she was working with? That's what I was trying to figure out. I couldn't. Oh, it's down here. Oh, yeah. I knew Sting was on there, but I was trying to find the rest. Okay. So it looks like Sting. Um Steve Perry, John Fogarty, Kid Rock. I'm not too happy about that one, but oh, it's Dolly. I'll accept it. Um, Steven Tyler. <laughs> These are very large names, Tim. Mm-hmm. Peter Frampton, Joan Jett, Chris Stapleton, Miley Cyrus, who is her goddaughter. Um, Pink and Brady Carlisle, um, Debbie Harry, Elton John, Melissa Etheridge. I have a beef to take with Elton John after this. I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. Um, Linda Perry, Cheryl Crow, Michael McDonald, which I will be... <laughs> Interested to hear because of his voice mixed with Dolly's voice. <laughs> I, I wonder if he, because does he play instruments? Does Michael McDonald play instruments? He plays keys. Maybe he's playing on it. Maybe he's not singing. No, he, he would singing. be singing his high pitched like um, angel sounding. <laughs> I'm going to be very interested to hear that. Um, Peter Flint, Frampton, Mick Fleetwood, uh, Lizzo, and the list goes on and on. So, I mean, she's literally, I don't, there, the whole album has a, a guest rock star on it. Like, and I get it. Like, if any artist, if they say, hey, Dolly wants to perform with you, you jump to it, right? Like, there's no way you'd say no. But that's like, a huge track, Tim. Like that's a lot of artists. Exactly. I do wonder whether Dolly actually met any of those people, or whether they just mm-hmm. emailed files were emailed backwards and forwards. 
Well, did you know that she is still really old school? And Miley talked about when you contact her, like if you text her or something, she like will print the text messages or emails out and like write back to you. And then an assistant will send it back to you or something along those lines. She's very old school like that. So who knows? I, I don't know. But then again, the logistics of getting all those people to wherever she wants to record. I, I, I bet a, a lot of those folks never met Dolly. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure like I'm, I could see like Miley Cyrus is around her all the time. It's her, you know, it's her goddaughter. They're, but I mean, like Debbie Harry, like Peter Frampton. I can't imagine them really hanging out with Dolly that often. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, like you say, Kid Rock. I mean, we all have our opinions on Kid Rock. Yeah. How, but Dolly somehow manages to get polarizing figures and they want to just perform with Dolly and everyone else on that record True. is cool with it. Well, and then one of them is Heartbreaker, which is Pat Benatar, and then Neil, her husband. I can never Neil say his last name. Aren't they broken up? Are they still together? I I'm thought not they sure. like, hated each other. I'm not sure. Well, if they do hate each other, Dolly got on together. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, and like Nikki Six and Johnny Five are on here. Because for those who don't, who didn't pick up on it, like the, the listings, like the one that Sting is on is Every Breath You Take, or like you know, uh, Heartbreaker is Pat Benatar, or Freebird has Ronnie Van Zant, Gary Rossington. I don't know how to say this guy's name, but anyway, Artemis Artem Paul, Gary Rossington. They're basic. It's basically Leonard Skinner. She's doing Freebird with Leonard Skinner. <laughs> Artemis Pyle band. Like, I've never heard them as a whole. Have you ever actually listened to them? Yeah. Artemis, it says Artemis Pyle and the Artemis Pyle band. Yeah. Artemis Pyle was the original drummer for Leonard Skinner. He didn't Makes drum sense. with them later on. However, yeah, I've never even heard his name. Yeah. Later on, he formed the Artemis Pyle band and they went out and toured um, Leonard Skinner songs, you know, and on, on the mm -hmm. fact that he was what the original drummer. Well, I mean, and obviously I know who Ronnie Van Zat is and Gary Rothstein, but I didn't know Artemis Pyle. So there you go, guys. I learned something new. I mean, she's doing Let It Be with Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Peter Frampton, and Mick Fleetwood. Like, yeah, she, she is doing Let It Be with the Beatles. <laughs> Like, what in the world? How did she pull this off? I mean, of course, like when I said Joan J, it's I hate myself for loving you, right? Mm -hmm. Night moves. She didn't get the original. It's Chris Stapleton, but Night Moves, as me and Tim has said, might be the most perfectly written song of all time. Absolutely. We stand by that. So anyway, this is gonna be awesome. I have to get it. I will pre-order it. I will get merch. I will I will own this one. This is I love Dolly for this. But I mean, she did it so quickly too. Like she was just like, huh, they're gonna put me in. In the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I guess I'm going to own it. Okay, here's the new album. And it's like the most like amount of people on one album I've ever seen in my entire life. Exactly. I think what we're going to do is in November when this comes out, let's dedicate an episode to this. Mm -hmm. We will listen to this for a number of weeks and then we will do a track by track, <laughs> I think. I need to. I want the... Um, so they said that there's going to be like merchandise starting... Like I guess that she did a bunch of merchandise venue things in May of this year mm -hmm. and then it'll all go up online. And like all these brands curator, curated a shopping experience, whatever that means. But there's a picture of Dolly sitting on the earth on fire. Did you see that one, Tim? Yeah. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> well, the, so she, badly. The Earth on Fire song has already been released. That is I know, but I just out. want that picture of yeah, her yeah, yeah. on my t-shirt. Like, I want that. <laughs> 
Oh, I think it's World on Fire. World actually. on Fire. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was available May 11th, which I've already heard it, and it's pretty cool. But I want the picture of her on the World on Fire. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I just it just cracks me up that like, how did she like? She literally could do anything. Like, if you ask Dolly, "Oh, could you get World Peace done?" She'd be like, eh, "Give me like three weeks." <laughs> like, how? How do you get all these people? one track and that quickly. All right. My beef about Elton John. So when I went and saw Elton John, he swore this was his farewell tour. He wouldn't be touring. That guy has been on stage so much since he swore he was <laughs> never going to be on stage again. I've seen like three big pictures of him in Europe, like just like on stage, just still performing. And I'm like, it's like, I, I think he just can't give it up. I don't know. But he swore, this is my farewell tour. Never again. And he did that big blowout, right, at um, mm-hmm. the stadium, uh, Dodger Stadium. And then, like, the other day, I was on Snapchat, just scrolling. Guess who was in London? Scrolling again. Guess who was in, <laughs> I don't know, Southampton, whatever it is. I'm like, what? I thought you said it was over. <laughs> well, maybe he just said he wasn't going to be doing any big scale touring. He would just maybe just... Pop up when he felt like it. I don't know. It's just grab it, but I will say he is one of those people that if you pay him, he'll show up. You just have to meet his number. Sure. As we've said before, every artist that's out there currently working, if you want them for your event, if you want them to play in your house, there is a price for that. Fair enough. All right, Tim, what's your topic? Okay, so this one, we've spoken about Nita Strauss many times, and we've said that mm-hmm. she is probably the finest virtuoso shred guitarist out there right now. And she plays with um, Alice Cooper, and then she played with Demi Lovato for almost yeah. a year or so. And then she's actually now back with Alice Cooper. Now, she had a album out a number of years ago called Controlled Chaos, which was a instrumental shred instrumental album. And as we all know, instrumental shred guitar music i'm speaking as a guitar player is incredibly boring yeah i mean there there are some there are some people who break the mold um joe satriani's surfing with the alien is great um steve vice passion and warfare is great i think that's the only two examples i can think of it's just it doesn't go anywhere it's like look i i am the best guitar player ever and i can do all these things and it's like okay like with music i enjoy the layering of it that's like what's important to me and so when you kind of just tease it all down to what instrument it loses some of its off it does well anyhow she's announced a new album called call of the wild and what she's done which i think is very smart and she's got some vocalists involved smart yeah that is smart yeah and i was listening to some of the tracks today before we was recording and it just it just sounds like contemporary you know, heavy rock with a with a great vocalist on it. So may, maybe she's figured out that this is this is the way to do it. I mean, I guess it yeah because it get, it adds an extra element. I feel like, and then I hate to say this, I don't want to say they're boring, but at some point it feels like you're listening to the same thing over and over and over again when it's just a guitar. It does, and I mean, even like some music. Are you familiar with Dream Theater? Yeah. They see that it, that has vocals, but again, yeah. it's just like every musician in that band is a virtuoso. John Petrucci is the guitar player. And yeah. I don't know, you listen to that and I'm like, oh, come on. I mean, you know, I, 
Because like you listen to, I don't know, listen to the Sex Pistols, for example. For example, nobody in that band is a virtuoso. The guitar player is so-so. <laughs> but I'd rather listen to Pretty Vacant than anything by Dream Theater. It's something. It's almost like they take everything too seriously. Yeah, like because just... the only song I know from them, like off the top of my head, is that the Spirit Comes On song or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost just melodramatic and like ongoing and just. I don't know. I like something that maybe it's as a whole, you know, I like something a little bit more rough around the edges. It's almost too perfect. See, I think that's where Van Halen sort of shined. Yes, Eddie was a virtuoso and a trailblazer, and he basically invented that style of guitar playing, invented a lot of the equipment that's used to create it. But guess what they had? Great songs, Mm -hmm. great memorable songs. And yeah, the riffs were great. The playing was great. But yeah, you, you had a great singer singing a great song and then Eddie takes an amazing solo for 16 bars and you're like, wow. But I'll tell you what it's not is Eddie Van Halen shredding just for yeah. five minutes. It, it it loses its flair. Like, okay, cool. You can do that. Okay. You're still doing it. All right. He, he's, he's still, yeah. He's, is he still? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to um, back away now. <laughs> Another band I think that does a good job of that is, um, since uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, because mm-hmm. they are an orchestra and they are grandiose, but they're kind of, they add those rock elements to it. It's not all just smooth, dramatic, like, you know, perfected, like, they do a good job of balancing that. Because those most of the people who play a Trans-Siberian Orchestra are fantastically amazing. Now, given the lineup changes, we all know that, but there's like a handful of people they rotate through and they're all very, very talented artists. Um, and I've been listening, Charlie, my husband makes me listen to the sabotage before Trans-Siberian Orchestra all the time too. Cause you know, they started out as like rock musicians and that's how they got their push, but they do a good job of kind of having that grandiose virtuoso type thing, but not taking it too far. Absolutely. And you know, all of the people who play with TSO as the fans call them, um, yep. they all are virtuosos, but again, mm-hmm. it's their music pieces and they have their moment to shine and then they go back to playing the great song not just yeah. whittle whittling all the way through it and they like well if you've ever seen them live they do like their whole thing where they tell a story every year and like they have the light shows and it's just it's very interesting i almost got blinded once at one of their concerts but that's neither here nor there another another joy injury do we have to, I, don't know if, I don't know if i have the mental capacity for another joy injury on this well, podcast. it was not that serious it's we were at we bought the tickets very last minute and so we were all the way at the top tim of the like like on the wall like in the back mm-hmm. and the way of their lights because we were all the way in the back the one light the biggest light they possibly had shot was like shining on my face the entire show oh. to the point that my eyes were watering oh no and so like because they have like you know like the light shows that are super cool when they do all the things that go around but they have one big made stage light and just conveniently because we got the tickets so last minute there's only like three left it's around christmas time where everybody wants to go see them of course mm-hmm. and so yeah i was pretty much blind for like a day my eyes like burned when i got out of the concert oh dear goodness me well whilst that whilst that's unfortunate it doesn't surprise me unfortunately <laughs> it was fine i was fine i made it out okay <laughs> <laughs> okay so what, what what next story do you have for us joy i guess we'll go in since we were talking about dolly and her rock album we'll go into the 2023 rock and roll hall of fame introductions mm-hmm. so who, who's been inducted or is going to be inducted 
Yes, it is Kate Bush, which me and Tim have talked about. It's probably overdue. And I hate to say it, but it's probably because she's gotten that resurgence in the last few years. Um, and then Cheryl Crow, one of Tim's absolute favorites. Yes. Yes, he loves. And this one, I don't know how Tim feels about this, but Missy Elliott is going to be introduced. Can I tell you, I'd never heard of Missy Elliott before she appeared with Katy Perry at the halftime show because I watched that and I said to Hannah, I said, who's that? And she said, it's Missy Elliott. I said, who is that? I mean, at least you, uh, your reputation precedes you. <laughs> <laughs> like, you stay true to what you say. I mean, I love Missy Elliott, but I really don't find her to be a rock artist. But at this point, I feel like they shouldn't just, instead of just calling it rock and roll, they should just say Musician Hall of Fame. Yeah, we've covered that before. And I, I, I think the way they justify it, oh, it's, the, it's the rock and roll attitude or something. Okay. <laughs> whatever <laughs> anyway next one is a very obvious choice iron maiden i'm surprised they haven't been indu- uh, inducted before no i mean they're they're they are sort of the pioneers of what they call the new wave of british heavy metal they were there at yeah. the very beginning of that you know from saxon and all those kind of bands that were around that time and came after them but i mean the iron maiden uh, you know really are up on a pedestal of being that kind of heavy rock type well yeah they i suppose it's called metal i suppose yeah. Um, at this point, you listen to I'm Made and it just sounds like heavy classic and rock. I say, it, it's up for debate. That's one of those bands that people go back and forth, but they were kind of pioneers of, I think, developing what metal has became. Yeah. Like, you know, Steve Harris is a, a name most people know. So it's shocking to me that they hadn't, because I'm in the 70s. I would have just, I don't know, Iron Maiden seems like a band I would have just assumed was already uh, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I mean, they've gone through a few different lineup changes. Bruce Dickinson wasn't the original singer. They've gone through yeah. some, some different guitar players. Um, but, you know, the classic lineup, Steve Harris on bass, um, Yannick Gers on guitar, Adrian Smith on guitar as well. And then, of yeah. course, Bruce Dickinson fronting it. I mean, that is your classic Maiden lineup. And Bruce Dickinson, he's a modern-day Renaissance man because he fronts <laughs> Iron Maiden, yeah. He was an Olympic fencing champion, and I believe he had gold medals from that. He beat throat cancer. Um, he's fluent in like four different languages, and he <laughs> flies commercial jets for British Airways in his spare time. It's like when you give the light up of what Brian May does, and it like never ends. It's like, oh, he's also a rocket scientist, and he's a philanthropist, and you're like, okay, when does this man sleep? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but both, both of those people have similar uh, similar things under their belt. You know what I just picked up on, though? You know, we were talking about the Kate Bush thing, because she got the resurgence from the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Iron Maiden's Run to the Hills was on that same show. Oh, really? I think so. Maybe that's why. I mean, it could be. I mean, it's just it's just long overdue. I think it is really is. But I'm just saying that might be why it brought back up again. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Run to the Hills was on that show was on that. Uh, what is it? Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was used for something. It was either Stranger Things or something recently that's kind of brought that, that's became popular again. Anyway, all right. Joy Division slash New Order. Mm-hmm. I'm not super familiar with, I know who they are, but I'm not that familiar with them as a whole. Yeah, they're, they're seen of pioneers in that sort of genre of music. So it doesn't surprise me that they would be inducted. Sydney Lauper. I mean, I think she's a queen. I do think she does have some rock elements to her, but she's definitely pop rock. I mean, obviously, but she she definitely comes up with someone who could put on a rock show if she wanted to. Yeah. And as we've said before, she was pivotal in the rock and wrestling <laughs> era. Her sitting on a flight 
next to Captain Lou Albano, who was a wrestler or wrestler manager, <laughs> and inviting so him to appear in the Girls Just Want to Have Fun video started the whole of the rock and wrestling era. If it wasn't for Cindy Lauper, we wouldn't have the WWF as we know it today. Well, and I think she's pretty close to having like an EGOT or something like being an EGOT because she won a Tony for kinky boots. Cause she did all the music for it. Mm-hmm. So like, she's like, you know, Grammy, uh, Emmy, I think she's got a Tony. I guess the only thing she doesn't have maybe is an Oscar, but I think she's really close to having one. But my favorite thing that I've ever seen Cindy Lauper do was the cutest thing. So I love watching the Kennedy Cindy Kenner, Kennedy center honors. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that was so hard for me to say. Um, and she was on shares because her and share are really good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a back and forth where shares like, you told me you were a blah, blah, blah. Like she didn't know she was coming out and she did a, a version of, I got you babe with, um, Adam Lambert and they sounded amazing together. And then she did, um, if I could turn back time and she sounded so good. Like, and Cher's not an easy person to see. I mean, I got you, babe is an easy song to sing, but mm-hmm. oh, like if I could turn back time and things like that, those aren't easy songs to sing. Cher has a very distinct range and a very distinct sound to her voice. And Sydney Lauper was so good. And their little banter back and forth was so cute because they're really good friends in real life. Hmm, interesting. So if you've never seen that, that was one of my favorite little Sydney Lauper things she did. Um, this one, I think, I don't know. It, I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. George Michael. That surprises me that he's not already in. I mean, I could see that's that what maybe, I was thinking too. I can see that maybe Wham wouldn't be in because yeah. that's kind of. I mean, they, there's some great Wham songs. I mean, Club Tropicana is one of my favorite songs of all time, <laughs> really. But um, it's kind of. UK centric throwaway pop sort of, but like the, the influence of George Michael and his uh, vocal (laughs) ability and the people he played with and the songs he wrote and all that kind of stuff. And his legend. I mean, it just surprises me that he's not in the hall of fame already. Well, and I mean, I've talked about it many times before. I'm a huge George Michael fan. I I dressed up as him for Halloween two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And his faith video, Father Figure, One More Try, Kayla's Whisper, like this. The hits just go on and on. Mm -hmm. So it's shocking to me. And he does have, I would put him a little bit. I mean, he is poppy, but I mean, he did have a little bit of a rock side to him. That's kind of his edge. Um, And he started Carpool Karaoke (laughs) with uh, the original Carpool Karaoke. There we are. And he also invented designer stubble as well. No, there we go. Um, And um, Freedom 90, that video, like every time I hear that song, the opening and the intro track and the video, it was all a masterpiece. He did such a good job with that song. Oh, sure. I can't explain how, like, from beginning to end, if you watch the music video and you listen to the lyrics and everything, it's just perfect. Like, it is a art piece in and of itself as a whole. It's one of those ones you kind of have to watch the music video and listen to the song at the same time to get the whole picture. Absolutely. And also his duet with Aretha Franklin. I mean, that is a, that is so good. It's true. But I will say, I am a Wham fan. Sorry, uh, Andrew. What was his last name? Andrew Ridgely. Ridgely. Sorry, you're kind of the unforgetting, the forgotten member of Wham. I believe his name was Andrew. Yeah, Andrew Ridgely. The thing is about Andrew Ridgely, he was picked because he was an incredibly attractive man. Yeah. But I don't think he played on any of the the songs and I don't think he sang <laughs> I don't think any he did of them. either. And I know he certainly didn't write any of them. <laughs> like, I can't, like, I can see him, you know, like he had the same jawline with the, the little cheeks and he had good mm-hmm. hair. But like what he contributed, 
I, I don't know. He he can. I think the record company wanted a duo. They wanted two attractive guys, and they got someone who complimented George Michael. And there you go. You have Wham. I, I mean, I'd be prepared I prepared guess. to you know proven wrong about his input to Wham, but. Of the web albums I have, I haven't really seen anything going on much in the liner notes to suggest that he had much to do with it. I mean, if I'm being completely honest with you, I didn't even know his last name. So that's what I, um, I'm like, Andrew, guy with the hair, the other dude in web. I don't know. I mean, everybody knows Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. That's an iconic song, right? I mean, we can't not live our life without knowing that song. But I love Wham, but I, sorry, Andrew. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I could remember your name. Anyway, all right. So the next one is Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. Again, incredibly long overdue. Yeah, it's weird to me that if, and he has a little bit, and this is not to insult Dolly, because even Dolly was like, why am I being introduced into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> He's a little bit more, I would put him in more of a rock kind of sound than Dolly. Yeah, but I mean, he, he's he's incredibly mellow. It's true. That that's all the uh, cannabis, Tim. <laughs> that, 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 that's true. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Rage Against the Machine. Eh, that's a take it or leave it band for me. I don't really have thoughts on them. I mean, they, again, they, they're they're pioneers in their field. Um, Tom Morello is a fab, fabulous guitar player. He's not a virtuoso guitar player, but he he has a very particular sound, and he pioneered that sound. And um, I don't know. I, I, he, he, I tell you what he's like. He's like the edge. Like the mm. edge plays in a certain style and he's not a virtuoso, but he plays like the edge. Tom Morello plays like Tom Morello. Yeah, that's true. I can see what you're saying. I don't know. They, they're not a band that I seek out, but if they're on, I'd listen to them. Killing in the of Name thing. Of is still a fabulous track. That really is the one that comes to mind when I think of them. And I, I always get that killing in the name. It's stuck in my head. But anyway, um, Soundgarden is the next one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm surprised Soundgarden. And that's, again, a 90s kind of grunge act that kind of pioneered a time. Yeah. I, yeah, no, they, they were around. I'm, I'm sure Nirvana's probably already in. Oh, um, yeah, I'm sure. Soundgarden, Soundgarden's going to come in. But- I mean... Other Alice and Chains will probably be in next in. It's, it's would, all the bands of that era will will eventually be in. I'm sure. This one's weird to me, and maybe I'm missing something. Maybe Tim can enlighten you. The Spinners. Yeah, that's a that's a uh, an, a blast from the past. I mean, maybe they have huge influence. I don't know, but it seems like an mm-hmm. odd choice. But I don't know. You know, do want Motown, all this kind of stuff, but it just it it was weird to me that now I don't know, and they're not a huge Motown band. Like they had some, uh, like Rubber Band Man is a great song. They did a version of that. Um, mm-hmm. Love don't love nobody. That's all mm-hmm. I can think of. Like it's not like the Temptations or something. I thought it was just random. Yeah. Now somebody out there is going to come for me because you guys know I love Motown and I like their music. I just thought it was an interesting choice that of all the bands, that's the one they went with. Sure. Uh, yeah. Some someone's going to say, "Oh, how could the Spinners had so and so in them, and they did this, and they wrote that." And I know. I don't know. And I'd be like, "Okay." I mean, I do love working my way back to you. Yeah, that I is mean, a great song. That that is a that is a classic song, and in fact, the only one I can think of when it comes to the Spinners. <laughs> <laughs> I knew they had a version of Rubber Band Man. Um, I'm trying to rack my head. I'll 
there's that one I'll be around or something like that. I think that's been enough yeah, yeah. of a few movies. It doesn't matter. I have no idea who the next fan is and somebody's going to roast me for it. Tim's probably going to roast me for it, but I'm just going to say from the beginning, the tribe called quest. I think it's some kind of rap hip hop thing. I oh, think. Okay. And then I'm not getting roasted for it. Uh-huh. I thought you were going to say they had 74 songs in England. Joy. How did you not know? And I was going to be like, I don't live in England. <laughs> <laughs> The tribe called. I'm Googling them. Let's see what it says. A tribe called. Uh, yeah, it's a hip hop group. Okay. Yeah, there you go. They're from the early 80s. I guess they had an influence on hip hop. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. Okay. That will go to a band. I do know the White Stripes. I, I'm kind of shocked to see them on this list because I don't really find them that iconic. But No, I, I, I'm, I'm not a fan, as we've said before. They're okay, but like they have like two songs that I can think of. Like when I think of someone being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I feel like they need to have more than two songs. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure if you're a White Stripes fan, you would say, "Oh, their fourth album is where they really hit their peak." But I mean, Seven Nation Army really is about and that ball and biscuit. That's probably about it. <laughs> I think they had like a song called like Icky Thump or something. Uh, who, who knows? <laughs> And then again, I might get roasted, but I don't know who Warren Zevon. Yeah, he was a, Warren Zevon. He was a uh, he wrote Werewolves of London. That was the, he. That's the guy who I should that. punch myself for that because I love that song. I didn't know that was his name. The more yeah. you know. Sadly, though, I still hold a grudge over Kid Rock and my Werewolves of London. I'll never let it down. Every time his song plays, and I think Werewolves of London is coming on, and then it starts, he starts singing. I get so upset. <laughs> like, visually, like, I physically am like, no. Because I'm always like, oh, look, Werewolves of London's on. No, it's not it. <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. And I get that they're all a play on that other band that I hate, that that other song that I can't, I won't say the name of. I know. I know it's Sweet Home Alabama, everyone there. You got me to say it. I get it. But I just, <laughs> disgusting. I do. That's how I feel about that. Like every time it comes on, Charlie's like, which one do you think it is? Because he can tell I'm going to get mad if it's the kid wrong. <laughs> like, turn it off. <laughs> I hate that song. I really do. Anyway, all right, there we go. So, Tim, how much time do we have left? I mean, we, we I think we're going to go a little bit longer on this episode because okay. I've got some other news stuff that I want to talk about. So, you know, we, this, this is a big recap for us. We've been away Fair for, enough. you know, we've been away for too long and we're back. All right, Tim, <laughs> what's your next one? Okay, so this isn't so much as a news story. It's more of a discovery for me. <laughs> now... You've heard of the band Greta Van Fleet, I'm sure. Yes. And I heard about Greta Van Fleet when they came out. However, I hadn't really heard any Greta Van Fleet. And everyone said, oh, yeah, they're they're just a Led Zeppelin ripoff band. So, because I have my Spotify now, the the, the (laughs) name came into my head one day. I thought, you know what? I'm going to listen to this first Greta Van Fleet album. And I listened to it, and it sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin. Everything about it. Yeah. So I heard a thing about, so I've seen their name a few times that I have not like, because it's like, what, 2010, 2011, I think is about when they came out. I've seen the picture. Even their pictures are very uh, Led Zeppelin-esque um, physically when you look at them. Mm-hmm. But I, um, there was a thing where Robert Plant was talking about them. And he was like, they asked him, they're like, well, what do you think of them? And he went, pretty good. And that's all I said. <laughs> and that's 
stuck out to me. Like, he was just like, pretty good. <laughs> and it's so weird because Robert Plant's a very, like, he usually speaks very highly of people. Like, we'll have, like, good discussions if you watch him live. I think he's a very interesting person to listen to. But in this case, he just went, pretty good. And I don't know why, but that stuck out to me. Too. <laughs> uh, oh, anyway. Dear. But yeah, I listened to it. And to quote Carr from the Knight Rider episode, <laughs> I prefer the prototype rather than the inferior production line model. Dang, that's worse than pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and the prototype being, of course, the, re- the real deal Led Zeppelin. Well, I mean, Led Zeppelin, though, I think on the flip side, they're historically, they've gotten some backlash for stealing some of their music, too. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, unquote. I mean, yeah. But it's not so much the the songwriting, it's more the sound and yeah. the style is the same. I think you're right. I, I mean, I get it. And like I said, even when you look at the pictures, they're giving very Led Zeppelin-esque vibes. Yeah, I heard people say that as you go through some of their other albums, they start to sound less less than similar to uh, Led Zeppelin, but yeah, I don't know. I, I decided not to delve too much further into their catalog. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I remember hearing that whenever somebody quoted that. Given, I haven't looked up that, that thing where he called him pretty good in any in detail. I probably read it on like a Twitter thing or something. Uh, but maybe there was a follow-up, but it just cracked me up that he just said, pretty good yeah <laughs> <laughs> like he's like he's like it's better it was one of those less is more kind of things Thanks. all right well tim i'm gonna have to talk about it it's on my list we don't want to talk about it sadly tina turner has passed away yeah i heard that incredibly sad news i mean trailblazer musician i mean tina i mean goodness me but i mean incredibly in sad news yeah. I mean, she I mean, she had been retired from the world of music for some time uh, because she was living in Switzerland, just living her best life. But yeah, I was very, very saddened when I heard that news about Tina. Well, and didn't her boyfriend, husband, somebody like give her a kidney recently? Did I imagine that? Or she needed a kidney and he was going to give her a kidney? I think it was something like that. I think she, she'd been battling some of some very bad things recently. Yeah. Um, but yeah. He ended up being, I think that I read something about she would have passed away sooner, but he ended up being a match. So I think she had been, went through a kidney replacement not too long ago because she went through kidney failure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think cancer and all kinds of stuff. I mean, she was in her 80s. We forget that because I had almost like I was sitting one night when this happened. Tim knows I went through a big, I was like just kind of perusing the internet, finding some of her old videos because she wasn't just a singer. She's very interesting to watch on stage. I'm not just talking about the dancing. It's the showmanship of it. It's the way she spoke to the audience and interacted and like it almost felt like Tina Turner was having a conversation with you when she performed. Mm-hmm. So I went through it with sitting Tim a few of the videos of her performing. And I mean, she started performing in the sixties and she was, you know, and her probably what she was at least 18 plus when she started performing. If not, she was a teenager at least. So I guess it didn't dawn on me though, that she would have been 83. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem with all these legends that way up there, all the people that we revere, all the people we love, a 70 and 80 years old. And we've said before, I mean, other people are coming up, but it's not the same stature. And it's not just because I'm an old geezer now. Where is where is my new McCartney? Where is my new Tina Turner? Where's my new Elton John? There's this it just it just doesn't exist. Well, and I think that the whole that being pioneers in their own right make a difference. Because Tina, 
is one of those ones I would, she has a rock edge to her. She always has. She's very, um, like, I mean, if you ever hear River uh, Deep Mountain High, like it, it does, it's very sassy. It's very in your face. Very, it's, I feel like she started that kind of intenseness for women. Mm-hmm. Like she was a pioneer of the way those performances went. Of course, she's known for her dancing. And, you know, we know about Ike and Tina Turner. Um, we're not going to talk about Ike because he's disgusting. But, and I can say that full post, I don't care. Come for me, internet. He's a gross guy who used to do bad things. Exactly. It is what it is. Um, but he did put out a lot of good music with her. It doesn't make him subject to not being held accountable for beating her. But, um, but I mean, if you've ever heard, like, I love like the intro of uh, River Deep Mountain High, the horn section. And then when it goes into when I was a little girl, she's so good at that kind of like, so flawless too. Like she had a roughness to her that came through in her music, but her voice was like crystal clear in a weird way. I don't know. And, you know, we all know, obviously we know it's a CCR rem- remake of, um, God, why can't I think of the name of the song, Tim? I just keep thinking steamboat in my head. And I'm like, that's not the name of the song. <laughs> She's on a riverboat in the song. Yeah. Anyway, but she did. That's what, that was the play. She played, you know, she literally said, we never, ever do anything nice. Uh, and she knew that that was the way she did her showmanship on stage, but it was so good. It's just so good. I don't know how to explain it. And so I was very sad when she passed. She's one of the ones that hit me hard. And I went down the rabbit hole of watching tons and tons and tons of videos of her. Yeah, I was out and Hannah sent me a message. I was like, oh no, Tina, that's terrible. One that one that one stung, Tim. That one stung. Yeah, I mean we we were we're planning on celebrating Tina in a in we another are. episode. So we were we won't go into too much detail about the life and work of Tina here, but um but yeah, rock in peace, Tina Turner. Miss Annie Annie was it Annie Ray Annie May Bullock, I think Bullock. her name was. Yep, that's her name. And I think you were the one who taught me that. And she did not, she wasn't even on a steamboat, everybody. It was a riverboat. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's the next fact? <laughs> okay, so while we was away, the new drummer for the Foo Fighters was announced. And it's a gentleman called sure. Josh Freeze. Now, Josh Freeze is a session drummer. He was a friend of Taylor Hawkins and a, a, um, a friend of Dave Grohl. And um, you know, he's been a, he's been around the block a lot, playing with different acts. He he was actually a drummer in Guns N' Roses, A Perfect Circle, Puddle of Mud, Nine Inch Nails, Replacement, Sting. I mean, he is a, he is like the session guy. If you if you want the best, you know, session drummer in the business for live work, you speak to Josh Freed. He's the man. And he performed with the Foo Fighters at the Taylor Hawkins uh, Memorial Concerts, mm-hmm. both the one in London and the one that was in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. And it was an obvious fit. Now I thought the drummer for the darkness, who is Roger Taylor's son was yeah. going to be the, the announced drummer, but it didn't, didn't work out like that. They decided to go with Josh freeze. Now they haven't decided or even said, well, I'd say maybe they've probably decided, but they haven't come out and said, is he an official Foo fighter or is he just their touring drummer? They haven't said that yet. So yeah, I haven't seen anything. No. I mean, the, the, the album that came out recently, Dave Grohl is drumming on that. And that is a very much an album that's very therapeutic to the band because a lot of the songs are very introspective. They're talking about Taylor. Dave's talking about his mother, which was lo- who was lost around the same kind of time. Very personal songs that I think really helped them. But Dave is drumming on that. Yeah. Um, but said so Josh Freeze is drumming live with the Foos. And I don't want to be controversial, but maybe I am with this. 
I listen to some of the songs of the, from, because they're touring right now. <laughs> and I've listened to some of the songs with Josh Freeze drumming and compared them to how Taylor used to drum them. Taylor was a fabulous drummer and I'm not taking that away from him. It sounds less manic with Josh drumming. I mean- I mean, that could just be personal style choices. It could just be the way they drum. It could be a lot of things. Yeah, and I was talking that's to, controversial. to I was talking to Randall in Flager Hill about this, and he said he's watched it, and he said, "Yeah, he said it. It sounds more to, to him. It sounds more together with Josh Free's drumming. I mean, you know, they're they're missing their brother, they're missing their friend, they're missing their musical collaborator. I mean, I get all of that, but I think if you just listen to it objectively at the music, I think it sounds more solid with Josh." drumming i don't know and it could be i mean taylor was obviously struggling with a lot of stuff too outside Mm -hmm. of the band so maybe that affected his drumming we don't know yeah but i will say i like taylor hawkins though like i liked when he performed his own concerts and like they let him sing and stuff he's wonderful yeah i'm not taking any of that away from him but i think just from a what i've heard josh freeze is a really really good fit for this band and the interesting (laughs) thing is that the way that they announced it is they had a thing up online on some service called Veeps that I've never even heard of, but I had to sign up to see. (laughs) And they did a live stream that wasn't really live. And it's all in black and white, and it was called Foo Fighters Preparing Music for Concerts. And it was recorded in their compound, Studio 606, where they rehearse and record and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And at the very beginning, they're all standing around, and there'd been a bunch of people who they who had been sort of said, oh, th- this person's going to be the new drummer. So Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers comes in the room. And they're like, hey, Chad. Oh, how you doing? Oh, just dropping by. See you later. Bye-bye. And he goes off. <laughs> That's and very then, Foo Fighters. Yeah. Them. They're and always then, so eccentric. And then Tommy Lee sticks his head in. And he says, oh, hey, Tommy Lee, how you doing? Oh, it's just in the area. Oh, someone's blocking my car in. Oh, it's the white Mercedes. Oh, okay, thank you. See you later. And then there was another guy, the drummer from Tool. Now, people had said the Tool's drummer, Danny Carey. That's one I had seen, yeah. Yeah, was going to be the one. And he comes in the room and he's like, Danny, hey, we toured with you last year. Hey, good to see you. And then he just goes. And then it pans around to Josh Freed's behind the drums. And Josh Freed's has got a sticker on that says, hello, my name is Josh on there. And he's like, guys, can we just play some music, please? It's such a Foo Fighters thing to do. Like that in and of itself is very Foo Fighters to me. Exactly. But then they, they went into All My Life and that version of All My Life from that um Mm-hmm. Live stream is so good. So good. It is so it's good. Great. In fact, I, I will definitely put that on the uh, the Facebook page so everyone can see it because people have ripped the stream and put it on YouTube. And it, yeah, that's how I've seen it. I saw it. Such a good YouTube. version. I didn't even know that Veep thing existed either until recently. Just so you know, Tim, you're not alone. No. Veep or whatever it is. It's like V E E P or something. Didn't yeah, know it existed. I've never heard of it because they said, oh, it will be live up on Veeps. Like, what? <laughs> We're so old. What's a Veep? <laughs> is that what? Is, is that a band? Is that a Kardashian? I don't know. <laughs> See Tim like with his cane walking by. I don't know what Veep is, but I'm gonna ah, find out. <laughs> exactly. But anyhow, I'm very pleased that the, the Foo Fighters feel that they can go out and play music again. They lost their brother. They lost their friend. But you know, they're out there rocking. There we are. I mean, I'm happy for them. It's a new era in the sense. I'm happy they're able to keep performing, even mm-hmm. though, you know, they lost their friend. I um, mean, it sounds like this guy's a good fit. So, yeah, well, we said whether whether he will be a permanent Foo Fighter, whether he'll collaborate on albums and things or whether he's just 
someone who's booked to tour with them. I don't know. Maybe going forward, Dave will be the studio drummer. I I don't know how that's going to work because I know what I wondered because you know, like uh, the Rolling Stones, for example, when Bill Wyman left the Rolling Stones, they never officially replaced him. Yeah, the guy who plays bass with the Rolling Stones is not a Rolling Stone. He records with them, he tours with them, but he's never in any of the publicity material. He probably gets studio musician. He probably gets paid incredibly well, but he's probably on a salary. Hmm. I mean. I get it. And it could be they just want to keep that um, the the brand that is the Rolling Stones with the faces that people know, because mm-hmm. they talked about how iconic the Rolling Stones tongue thing is and all that stuff. They just want to keep that the same. Exactly. Right? Well, there we are. Anyway, Joy, if you do uh, one more news story, I have one more news story and then we will wrap this. We are back episode up. All right. So I'm going to do Queen's billion dollar catalog deal. Uh, if you heard- yeah. Yeah, I anyone heard about this. Anyone, yes. I, I sent Tim the link. He had already uh, begrudgingly told me, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> 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 with a little angry face with his cane shaking yeah. to the wind. <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding. But yeah, so there have been kind of some murmurs, I think, after in the stratosphere, but just after Memorial Day and a bunch of unnamed sources, the surviving members of Queen were in the process of selling the legendary group's catalog for a mind-boggling one mil- million, no, one billion with a B, like Bravo. Um, Universal Music Group, the world's largest music company, said they will be the likely buyer. Um, three sources tell Variety the deal is in its advanced stages, although another um, person close to the situation says it's very preliminary. And that the billion dollar price tag is real. However, exactly what is included in the package has not been released. Um, the deal is the Universal's. Uh, the, the deal um, is Universal's, though apparently Sony wanted was in the wings waiting, possibly mm-hmm. as an option. Um, and they. Um, so, well, they also originally signed, I guess, with EIM in 1972. Tim probably knew that. Um, and that was acquired already by Universal in 2011, of course. So it's kind of back and forth. But however, they're saying it's the largest licensing deal since like ever. <laughs> like it's the, the amount of money that's being sent on this is the largest that we've ever seen. They specifically said in the U.S. and Canada. Um, so. Yeah, because like Queen originally signed with EMI, as you said. Yeah. And then in the United States, they were signed on the Electra label. And, and then Electra, Electra was purchased by Hollywood Records, which is Disney's record company. And it had been like that for many years. Um, but this is this is sale is one of these things where all the likenesses, all the songwriting, all the credit, you know, it's like the whole package, you know, you, you, everything to do with queen. This is now for sale and it's now yours. It's one of those, like, cause I think a lot of these other mm-hmm. artists, like the beach boys have done it. And well, yeah. that's, what I was going to get into. I've got a list here. Yeah. Neil Young's done it and a bunch of stuff like that, but it's just, the, it seems to be prior to that film coming out. I want to say that people have forgotten about queen, but sending the United States, they weren't the massive thing that they are now. That film came out, and now everything is queen, queen, queen all the time. Now, I've been a fan since the early 90s. I've I've owned all the albums long before anyone was going on about them. But it seems to me like now there's so much in the public consciousness. And they've almost, i tell you what it's like. They've, like, taken over from the Beatles in a way. Yep. Because, you know, everything was all Beatles, all Beatles, all Beatles. And, you know, you go into any shop in a resort town and they're selling stuff and you'd get Abbey Road on a cup or I don't know, that kind of stuff. But now 
everything is all queen all the time. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a rite of passage at this point. Like it's just, it's taken a next level. And it's funny because Tim's right. Um, they, they were popular. I remember when I was a kid and my mom always had VH on one, VH, um, VH one on, and they were on constantly. It was always on rotate. The famous Bohemian Rhapsody video stood, stood out to me very distinctly as a child memory, the operatic, the everything. But I mean, and they were big. And I mean, you could at any given time, you could turn on the radio in America and fat bottom girls is probably playing. Right. Mm -hmm. But they weren't so viewed as like this um, virtuoso kind of thing that they are now. It's like because that came out, people have started digging below the surface and seeing how many years and different types of music they've done and how versatile they were as artists and we all love a trap. I hate to say this, and it's specifically in America. I don't know. I can't speak on England, but it's like we almost romanticize the tragedy that is Freddie Mercury. And that movie brought that back up. Mm-hmm. And we tend to do that in America, like the Forever 27 Club and all this stuff. These artists that pass away, they they become they become larger than life again. And we tend to romanticize that good or bad for what it's worth. The, the tragedy that was Freddie Mercury at the end, because, you know, he passed away with AIDS, everybody during the AIDS epidemic, um, which is a horrible, horrible thing that happened. And we're not going to get into it. But I think that that plays into it, Tim. The movie brought up that side of it again, and then it brought up just something that interests people. Yeah, I, I, and I think I think you're right. And uh, it's just surprising, though, that the amount of value that catalog has—I mean, a billion dollars. Well, and here's the one tip was I was going to say, I'll get into it. So it says it would dwarf the largest deals on record, which are Bruce Springsteen, which I think you talked about Bruce Springsteen selling his ones before um, for 600 million. Mm-hmm. And then Bob Dylan did the same for 400 million. And then, of course, there was um, in February, Michael Jackson's estate was in the process of selling half of their music catalog. Um, and the interesting thing about Michael Jackson, we talked about this, is he owns other people's music, too. So that mm-hmm. might be involved in that. And they said 800 to 900 million dollars, but 1 billion. And mm-hmm. I know we don't think about it because a billion doesn't come up. But I mean, that's a lot. 1 billion is so much more than 1 million, even though it doesn't seem like it in our mind because we can't process it. It's, it's, a, it's a thousand times more to be precise. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot more zero. But you know what I'm saying, though, Tim? Like in my mind, I can't. I don't even know what a million looks like, so I can't even begin to function what a billion or a trillion, all those quadrillion look like. Like I don't know what that means in terms of money. I probably never will, <laughs> unless a rich uncle dies. But it's so weird. And I mean, I would say Michael Jackson's catalog only being nine hundred million versus a billion. You would think Michael Jackson's catalog would be worth quite a bit because he owns Beatles music. He owns some of Paul McCartney's music. He owns other people's music. So it's shocking to me. And that I, what I read is they may be up for sale too, because he has the rights to them. You're right. It's weird to me that as much as Queen, you know, we got Radio Gaga, somebody to love. I mean, we could name every hit off right off the top of our heads, but a billion dollars? Really? Yeah. It, it said it's Utterly, utterly mind-blowing. <laughs> Though when they tried to speak to the representatives for Queen Universal, blah, 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 they're decla- they haven't made any comments yet. So. No, did you, do you, though, though I understand Jim Beach was uh, lighting cigars with 50-pound notes last time. <laughs> last time <laughs> with him. There, I mean, I get it. I would... <sighs> 
it's just weird. It's weird to me that, and I think, you know, I think of Queen as a power artist. I think they're up there in the books, but for them to sell that much more than some of the other artists is interesting. Yeah. And like I said, I think it's because they have become the new Beatles in a way. Yeah, but the Beatles didn't even sell for that much. No, I I know. But but, I mean, in, 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 in terms of, rock star power and cachet, if yeah. you will. And I get it. I mean, we all know Tim's the Queen super fan. He has been for the longest time. But I really do think it goes back to romanticizing the story. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Elton John. He got a resurgence after Rocket Man, and that's because the story, as crazy as it was, and, you know, dr- a lot of drug issues and bad stuff happened. I mean, it got. Ro- I feel like it got a little bit romanticized, too, and that's why he ended his concert tour at the Dodger Stadium, you know? That was his big blowout. Exactly. There we go. There we All are. All right, what's your last piece of news, Tim? Okay, well, my last piece of news is Queen Adjacent. <laughs> of course. And this is Mr. Brian Harold May. Sorry, Sir Sir Brian Harold May. I've forgotten all of his titles. It's too much. Anyway, Brian May, <laughs> guitar player Brian May, who played with Queen. Um, part of him, yeah. <laughs> he um, is reissuing, can't even speak, reissuing a mini album he did in the 80s with Eddie Van Halen called Starfleet. Now, oh. is this anything you're aware of? No, not even a little bit. Okay, so Starfleet was a Japanese kids TV show, and it was okay. like, it was sort of like you ever you ever seen Thunderbirds? Do you know what that is? Yeah, with yes, like marionette type things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was the same kind of idea. Um, okay, Japanese kids TV show, and it Got made it. its way to the UK. And the theme, and it was called, and when it came to the UK, it was called Starfleet. I think in Japan it had a different name, but in the UK it's called Starfleet. That's how I'm interested too. It's, yeah, it's that kind of idea. And it had a theme tune. Now, Brian May's son, Jimmy May, loves Starfleet. And of course, when your dad's a rock star, he, <laughs> he records a rock version of it with Eddie Van Halen. And that's what yeah, happened. Of course, so, it does. So Eddie Van Halen went in the studio with um, Brian May. Brian May was living in Los Angeles at the time. So Eddie was in there. Bassist Phil Chen was in there. And Mike, um, what's his name? Mandel. What's the guy's name? I should know this. He was um, Fred Mandel. He was Queen's touring keyboard player before Spike Edney. I should really know these things. Anyhow, he went in with him. He's <laughs> beating himself up yeah, here. <laughs> and the REO Speedwagon drummer, Alan Gretzer. So they were all sort of friends who knew each other. They went in the studio for a bit of fun because they didn't know what they were going to do, did it for a couple of days, and they came out with a re-recording of the theme tune to Starfleet. <laughs> they also did another song called Let Me Out, and they also did another song called Blues Breaker, which is like an instrumental blues jam. Now, this is one of these things, if you're a Brian May geek or even a Queen geek, you would know about Starfleet. Um, it came out in the 80s. It's never been reissued. There was one reissue in Japan 15 years ago or so. And I have a copy of that. It's a Japanese yeah. CD and I have a copy of that. And <laughs> of when, you do. Yeah. And when Brian May uh, was, had his solo career in the early nineties, some of those tracks made their way onto B sides. So if you, I think, I think there was a couple of CD singles and if you bought them all, you ended up with all the tracks are on Starfleet, but it, it, the production is a little dated and it was done in a couple of days and then it was mixed and then it was released just for fun. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a cool track. But what Brian May wanted to do, especially after we lost Eddie Van Halen, he wanted to go back in and he wanted to completely remix it. Not a mastering job where you just you do a little bit of tweaking to make it sound good. Yeah. Go in, find all the stems, remix everything so it sounds good. Oh. And that's what he's done. And not only has he remixed the whole of Starfleet, 
everything that was recorded on those two days is going to be reissued as part of a box set. All the jams, all the alternative versions. You're making versions. so much money. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff um, is going to be reissued. And now he's already released the, an edited version of the lead single. And I listened to it the other day, and it's like hearing that song for the first time. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've heard Starfleet thousands of times, the song. And when I listen to that version, that the, the one that they've re- released on Spotify and stuff, and it's like, wow, this sounds like a new song. It sounds so clear. The drums sound so mm. much better. The guitar sounds so much better. So I can't wait to get my hands on this. Now, despite what I said about never buying records again, <laughs> I may have ordered the box set, <laughs> the single CD, <laughs> the standard album. It's a lot of gig money, Tim. <laughs> the single on 7-inch and the single on CD. I may have spent over 200 bucks on pre-ordering all that stuff. Possibly. Just saying. But I don't know. It's the fact that Brian May is into re-releasing all this geeky stuff. I That's could funny. not be happier about it. I mean, I never thought in my lifetime he'd even acknowledge that he was he was excited about Starfleet. But you know, he he's on his Instagram and he's posting up clips and all this stuff, and it's it's just remarkable. I just can't wait to hear it all. It's such a very specific thing, too. So, did you watch this show, Starfleet? No, I mean, I've seen the people uploaded the whole of Starfleet to YouTube, but I've seen a couple of episodes and it's 80s kids. It's 80s kids TV. It's Japanese. And then someone's dubbed it in English. And it's fine. I mean, it's like, I mean, some, some people are probably super into it, but I mean, it wasn't the sort of thing. I had some weird cult following. I'm sure it's like a cult classic. And it makes you wonder if he's coming out with a box set, whether they will re-release the actual That's Starfleet That's what I thought TV you were going to say, if they were going to redo the show. I don't know. There was a video made for Starfleet, a pop video made for Starfleet. And yeah. again, that's never been officially released. There are there are people who have put it on YouTube from like, who have had it on a VHS tape or something. And mm-hmm. I remember back in the 90s, when I was a part of the Queen fan club, and I used to go to these Queen fan club events, one of the events I went to was like a, I think it's Queen fan club Christmas party. They made a big deal that they were going to show the pop video of Starfleet because no one had really seen it. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things of the day. So, oh, and blah, blah, it's going to happen. And so-and-so is going to play. And at four o'clock, we are going to show the Starfleet video. And people are like, wow. <laughs> so random. There's yeah. a little bit. I'm sorry, guys. I got choked up. Do you want to cut that out? As you, as you should do when talking about Starfleet. <laughs> <laughs> it's coughed in everybody's ear. Well, I guess that's where we'll leave the people. Do you have any words of advice for them? Be extra kind to everybody you meet and be extra kind to all your pets. Also be extra kind and um, be careful about what hair products you use because they might attract bees. There Bye. we are. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>